Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Street Sports Basketball, which was chosen as this episode's game by my Patreon supporters. Supporters like Alan Hudgens, Bill Spear, and David Hearn Ryder. If you'd like to help pick the next episode's game or just support my podcast, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and sign up today. Sports Basketball was released for the Commodore 64 in 1987 by Epix. It is a game for one to two players that uses joystick controls. Now, if you've been listening to Sprite Castle for a while, you will know that Epix games are no stranger to the show. Previously on the podcast, I have covered such Epix classics as Winter Games, California Games, Jumpman and Jumpman Jr., Sword of Fargo, and several others. On the Commodore 64, the name Epix was synonymous with quality software. Street Sports Basketball was published by Epix in 1987 as part of their line of street sports games. In each of these games, Epix took popular sports and moved them into the streets and backyards where kids often played them. Epix released a total of four games in their street sports series. There was Street Sports Baseball. Basketball, those were both released in 1987. Those were followed by Street Sports Football and Soccer, which were released in 1988. All four of those games were released for both the Commodore 64 and the Apple II. All but Street Sports Football were released for DOS. Uh, Two of the games actually found their way to 16-bit systems. Street Sports Basketball also made an appearance on the Amiga. And Street Sports Soccer was also released for the Apple II GS. Like most Epix titles, this was an in-house game. It was developed and published by Epix, although the game was published overseas by U.S. Gold. Uh, the game was programmed by Andrew Spencer, whose previous credits include International Basketball, which was a very popular basketball game, and International Soccer. Most basketball video games, even games like one-on-one, take place on an official basketball court. Street sports basketball takes place in the streets. Assemble a team of the neighborhood's best or least worst players, hit the street, and do your best to take it to the hoop. This game had a very recognizable box cover. The front of the box has a guy dunking a basketball. Across the back of the backboard is the logo for Street Sports, which was uh, made to look like a license plate. So you have Street Sports, and underneath that you have the word basketball, which is kind of written in a freehand uh, style font. The guy dunking 
The basketball is blonde, and he is wearing a black sleeveless shirt and blue sweatpants, and for some reason, somewhat resembles Tony Hawk. (laughs) The back of the box sets the tone of the game that we can see in the pictures that we will be playing three-on-three basketball, not on official basketball courts or in a gym, but out on the streets. This is the information we get on the back of the box. Jump ball. It's playoff time in a back alley off Oak Street. Vic and Bojo face off on asphalt. They leap. Long arm stretch. The higher hand smacks the ball to magic. Then a furious fast break down the alley. Vic gets caught in the hustle and does hard time on concrete. Defense slacks as Kevin slips on a slimy oil patch. Brad spots an opening to the basket and slams it through. Check out those high fives. Right off the bat, uh, I know people named Brad. I know people named Kevin. I know one person named Vic. His name is Vic Sage, and he does podcasts. I don't know anybody named Bojo. I don't know what Bojo is. Why Bojo sounds like a circus gorilla. So I don't know who Bojo is supposed to be. Uh, Also, it's uh, a daring, bold move to name a basketball player Magic, uh, because uh, there's one magic in basketball and uh the kids in this alley are not magic johnson so anyway continues blitz them right off the street create a team to terrorize the neighborhood there are hot shooters and slow dribblers team players and show-offs guys that can pass on the run and find the big man inside or help Joey pop him from the corners. But don't let him dribble in oil slicks or trip in potholes. To be numero uno in this neighborhood, it takes as many mental leaps as jumps. There's never been this many obstacles to providing Oh, sorry, to proving you're the best. Then again, street sports basketball isn't like any other basketball game you've ever played on a computer, but it's just like any basketball game you've ever played for real. So uh, this part of the box is kind of setting uh, the scene that you're going to be playing not on a court, but you're going to be playing uh, outside. It mentions twice in two different spots that there may be oil slicks. We've heard that twice. Um, So... We also get the idea that there's going to be obstacles uh, that appear on uh, each uh, court that you choose, and that is true. Uh, then there's a few bullet points at the bottom that says play against a friend or the computer. That's always important to know that it's a one- or two-player game. Choose your own team, recruiting from the neighborhood players. That's true. Four different courts, the schoolyard, the alley, the suburban backyard, and the inner-city parking lot. I'm going to talk here in a second. (laughs) Slam dunk, steal the ball, make a jump shot or a hook, and pass on the run to an open teammate for an easy score. There's a couple things on the back of this box, uh, and and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about it. And it's not not really a big thing. It's a dated thing. Uh, I think if you, you talk about... You're gonna if you want to play in an inner city court and you want to be numero uno, you're making some references here. <laughs> you're throwing in a little Spanish. You're saying inner city. You're showing these pictures. 
Um, but the game doesn't really line up with that. And uh, again, I'll, I'll talk about this in a second, but um, all the players in this game are all white. <laughs> on the pictures, on their profile pictures, there's some that kind of look like they might be Hispanic, but there are no um, black people in this game. Uh, in a, a basketball game that is city kids, there's no black people. So it's just a little weird. It feels a little weird. Um, it feels a little dated. Uh, if this game were put out today, it would certainly be more inclusive. Um, but I have to wonder, maybe that has something to do with who this game was being marketed to. Maybe there was market research that said, um, you know, these are the type of people that own computers and are buying computer games. So I'm not really sure, but it, it definitely seems like uh, certain people were left out of this game. Uh, let's jump to the title screen. Uh, we've loaded the game and we get a big logo that says Epic's Street Sports Basketball. And the most noticeable thing about this logo to me is that it is not the same logo that appears on the front of the box. The front of the box very specifically says Street Sports uh, and that's on a license plate. And then underneath it said basketball. Uh, but this is not that same style. It's just a completely different style, and it kind of takes away uh, from a, a unified look. It would You would think that with all these games, they would all have a similar style, both on the outside of the box that would be replicated uh, on the title screen as well, but uh, that's not really the case here. Once we get past the title screen, and I'm just going to throw this out. I don't always talk about this, but I just went back and played this on a real Commodore 64, and there's a lot of loading that's involved. Uh, it loads to get to the title screen. It loads to get to the menu choices. It loads before the game starts. So if you're playing this on a, a disk drive without a fast load cartridge or something to that effect, uh, you can definitely expect some loading times. Oh, wait. Wrong podcast. You can definitely expect some loading times. Oh, wait. Wrong podcast. Uh, once we get to the menu choice, we can choose, first of all, one of four courts to play in. Um, this, let me scroll back up so I can see those again. Uh, those are uh, the schoolyard, the alley, the suburban backyard, and the inner city parking lot. The courts do make a difference. Uh, there are different obstacles depending on which court you choose. And some of them, like, for example, the one, uh, I believe it's the park, has trash cans. So there's no out of bounds in this game. If you throw the ball, it just bounces off a trash can. It'll come back and bounce, and you can keep playing. So, uh, again, I talked about the oil slicks. There are curbs uh, and some of them. There are cracks in the sidewalk that will mess up uh, your, your bouncing or your running. So, um, the the uh, the backgrounds really are interactive in this game and do affect uh, your gameplay. We also, uh, at this point, we get some funky music. Uh, I've already played that in this, uh, if you got to this part of the podcast. It doesn't really remind me of uh, a basketball game, and it doesn't remind me of like street sports kind of uh, sports. I don't know. It's just thematically, uh, this game is not not very cohesive, I would say. 
Uh, anyway, back to uh, selecting the courts. You pick one of the four courts to play in. Then you choose if you'll be playing with one or two players. Uh, if you are playing against the computer at this point, you will choose their difficulty level. There are three levels, easy, medium, hard. Um, and then once you've selected that, there is a coin toss. And the coin toss shows which player gets to pick their team first. Now, also on the screen are 10 neighborhood kids. And you're going to be playing three-on-three basketball, so you will pick three players. Uh, You'll alternate with the computer or your opponent uh, in picking who your team is. So the coin flip determines who gets to pick first. Uh, I don't think it's that important because... All the characters seem to be have a, a um, an equal or a partner. There are two guys um, that are really strong players. There are two girls that are really good at passing, and so on and so forth. So I don't know that the first person necessarily has uh, an advantage over the second player or not. But as you're picking your players, uh, you can highlight each of the 10 characters, and it shows you a profile of their face. It also shows you uh, a couple of sentences, three or four sentences about the person, and it will kind of hint and tell you what their strengths or weaknesses are. If they're a good shooter, uh, it says one guy is uh, a great shooter from the outside, but he's a slow runner. So you kind of get these hints, and you can pick your your team. There are no uh, alternatives, or um, you know, people like you're not building a bench; you're just picking your three players. Uh, for a you know a pickup three on three basketball game, so it's not you can't swap in better defensive players if you need to do anything like that. The three people that you pick are the ones that you are stuck with for the game. Now, one thing that's interesting about this screen is that the largest word by far on the screen is the word Casio. There is a Casio. I don't know what it is. It's not really a billboard because it's in the foreground. Um, but it's not a scoreboard or a timer. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it just says Casio. Uh, you probably remember that Casio made keyboards like, like music keyboards, uh, and watches and calculators and things like that. Now, Epics had already done California games at this point. And if you've played California games, you know that that game is full of product placement. There are ads for uh, Ocean Pacific. I think OP is in there. Um, There's some kind of surfboards that are in there. Um, And Casio is one of the uh, sponsors of California Games. So uh, they were kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to product placement and having people pay to have their logos put in the games. I know in California Games, there's different logos like in the background of the half pipe event and things like that. So um, that continues a little bit in this game, except for it's really only Casio. So there's only one and it's so large and prominent <laughs> in this scene that it's, it's kind of uh, humorous. Now in the manual, there was a, a product tie-in uh, where they had a contest where you they were giving away a Casio keyboard. Again, this is a music uh, keyboard, not a computer keyboard. And that's mentioned in the manual that they're having a Casio a sweepstakes. And depending on when you bought the game, some of the games had a sticker 
on the package itself that advertised the slam dunk sweepstakes. And on that sticker, it says there's information inside to find out how you can win uh, a Casio keyboard. So seems like there are a lot of other sponsors they could have went for for a sports series, but Casio is what we get here. There is one other advertisement in the game. Once you're done with this screen, you press the button to start loading the game and you get a second screen, which is an advertisement for street sports baseball. (laughs) It says street sports baseball available now. And the logo for street sports baseball is the same as the logo for street sports basketball. So they did uh, agree on a logo on the actual games on the title screen. It just doesn't match the logo that's on the outside of the box. Once the court has loaded, uh, your first thing you'll have to do is choose the score that you want to play to. This is not unlike playing basketball with your friends outside. You say we want to play to 10 or 11 or 15. I think the default is 20. Uh, and it's normal basketball rules, two points, you know, for a shot. So you pick uh, whatever the the score that will end the game is, you are now presented with a side view of the court. You will either be the team going left to right or the team going right to left. Again, uh, this is three on three basketball. So you have already chosen your three players. And this is where kind of what I was referring to earlier really jumps out at you is that all the players here essentially uh, look very similar. They all have that exact same Commodore peach-colored or pink-colored skin tone. They all have black hair, regardless of what their profile pictures look like. And uh, the team that starts on the left is wearing green jerseys, and the team that's on the right is all wearing blue jerseys. So, uh, like, there, I picked a kid that was wearing a red T-shirt with a red hat, um, you know, on the former screen. But here, he's just one of the kids wearing a green jersey. Now, the heads of the characters are different, but sometimes you have to look very, very close. And some of them, a lot of them, are identical. But some of the kids are wearing sunglasses. Some are not wearing sunglasses. A couple of the girls have ponytails, where the other ones don't. Uh, One guy has a mohawk. Um, But literally on the game that I played, four of the six people that I chose basically all looked identical. So you really have to look close to determine which character is which, and that does come in later in the gameplay. I'll be talking about that. The controls are not only simple, but possibly too simple. Uh, When you're on offense, obviously the joystick moves whichever way you need to run, and the button throws the ball whichever way you're facing. So if you're standing facing the basket, sometimes he'll shoot, usually he'll shoot, Sometimes when you're running, it'll pass. It's a little, it's a little hit or miss. On defense, uh, again, the joystick controls one of the three players. Uh, whichever player you are controlling has a slightly lighter color style jersey. So, uh, on the green team, two of the players have dark green tops, and one player has a light green top, and that's which character you're controlling. Save for the blue team. Um, the. Uh, button on defense serves a lot of different purposes. First of all, if you hold the button down for more than one second, you will switch which player you're controlling. So if you are, like I am normally, far away from the action, you can hold down the button for one second and it will change and you'll be controlling whichever character is closest uh, to the ball. 
The button also causes you to jump. The button also causes you to block. And the button causes you to foul. Um, that's not good in a game where, uh, for a player like me, who gets close to the other player and just starts mashing the button over and over. Um, and, and you just kind of have to rely on the game to do the right thing. <laughs> so when you get on defense and you just click, 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 click on the button, maybe he'll steal it. Maybe he'll jump. <laughs> maybe he'll foul the other guy. There is no referee. So um, fouls are a part of the game. But uh, it, it, it's the controls... The game kind of works like how it just thinks it should work, but that doesn't necessarily mean the game works because you are doing exactly what you wanted to do. There are a lot of times in this game where things didn't go my way, not because I made a bad choice, but because the game didn't do what I thought it should do or what I meant uh, for it to do. So, you know, I guess I could transition into just talking about the game itself. Um, you know, to to enjoy this game, you really have to go way back, uh, way back in in the history of sports games. Um, I I love basketball. I love modern basketball, and I, I like a lot of modern basketball games. Um, but this is not a modern basketball game. This is a um, probably I guess I would call it a second maybe generation Commodore 64 uh, or 8-bit sports game. So if you think of early ones, I'm thinking of like one-on-one basketball for the Atari, things like that, right? Um, so this is this is more advanced, but it's not as advanced as, as what we have now. The AI, when you play against the game, uh, it just depends on what level you choose. If you choose the bottom level, it's not as good. If you choose the highest level, it's impossible to beat. Um, so there's, there's a, um, uh, a little bit of choice to be made depending on how, uh, what your personal frustration level is <laughs> and how important it is for you to win. Uh, the AI on the highest level, um, plays can do everything that your guys could do. Occasionally on the lower levels, they make bad decisions. And so that may be a, an, uh, a moment like they, they might not chase the ball down, for example, if, if they're, they lose the ball. So it gives you more opportunities to, uh, to take over the game. Um, you know, I talked about the button mashing that kind of, like I said, the game kind of decides what it's going to do, especially on defense. Um, on offense, I got pretty good at passing. Um, you know, you press the ball and it just kind of goes, it's like almost like a gun. Like, so if you're pointing on another player and you press it, it will pass it to that guy. If you're pointing to the, the hoop, it will pass it or, you know, it'll, it'll make a shot. Um, which makes doing things that are kind of sneaky or tricky difficult. Like you can't pass to a guy behind you because you're facing forward. You can't, uh, you know, run away from the hoop and then jump into a 180 shot because it's going to throw the ball away from the hoop the way you are running. So, um, you know, again, basketball is um, one of my favorite sports. Uh, I've played a lot. I got really hooked on basketball, like on the PlayStation 2. Uh, those early NBA live games where you could start calling plays, you know, you could call a pick and roll, you could set a defense, things like that. Um, but here there's none of that. Uh, it is three on three basketball. And to be fair, that's kind of like what three on three basketball is, uh, in the streets. I don't think, 
you know, you're necessarily calling plays or calling defenses or things like that. I think it's three guys running around, passing the ball, trying to make shots and get open. And so that's, uh, you know, essentially what this game is here as well. I don't know that I got good enough at this game to develop much strategy. Uh, one of the biggest things is figuring out how to pass. Uh, my players always seem to run slower than the AI's players. So the only way to really get open is to pass to other players that are open. You know, you can always pass the ball faster uh, than you can run, obviously. So passing is a big part of the game. Uh, Also using the background to your advantage. It doesn't, it's kind of hard to trick the AI into running through the oil slick or (laughs) running up the curb. But if you're playing with a friend uh, and those moments happen, you could definitely take advantage of that and try to get an easy bucket at the time. Uh, also, uh, changing defensive players, uh, I mentioned that uh, is really helpful. A lot of times I would not realize if I was on offense or defense, I'd be standing under the basket trying to, to do a layup and realize everybody's running the, the other way and realize, oh, I've lost the ball. <laughs> Someone has taken the ball from me and they're going the other way. So my guy, uh, as I'm pressing the button thinking that I'm shooting, is just standing up and down jumping uh, in some kind of weird celebration underneath the basket without the ball while everyone else in the pack is running the other way. So uh, by holding down the button for a second, you could switch to one of the other players uh, that is a little bit closer to the ball. And uh, uh, that way you can rejoin the action on the game. Now, I have uh, something special right here in the middle of the podcast and a surprise for three of my Patreon supporters. Uh, We are not only about to get some snacks, but I have acquired three uh, more additional tickets. I have four total to attend uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. They're taking on the Washington Generals. So we are going to be stepping into the arena now and having ourselves a little snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Joining me courtside is C-Dubs, Jake Nonamaker, and Jose Cazada, three longtime supporters of my podcasts on Patreon. And I hope you guys are hungry because I have picked up four very large, very delicious, and very buttery, salty pretzels. I, as a kid, did not have a lot of salty pretzels. I remember seeing them occasionally for sale at the mall, uh, but that was not something that my parents usually indulged us with. Uh, It wasn't really until I was older and started going to Sam's Club that I uh, found out you could just buy a a pretzel by itself, (laughs) like a super large soft pretzel. Uh, And so that was the first place I saw those. Until I started going to basketball games whenever we had originally the uh, Oklahoma City Hornets uh, who relocated here from New Orleans uh, and played here for a couple of years. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder, who um, shout out to Seattle. (laughs) We're still enjoying your team. Uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, uh, uh, so yeah, it wasn't until I started going to those things that I saw these giant pretzels like we have uh, right in front of us today they uh, you kind of have to hold on to the paper 
a little bit because uh, they're buttery. They're super buttery and super salty, and they even come with this little cup here of butter to dip them in if you want a little more butter on your pretzel. So uh, I've just handed these down, and while everybody is enjoying that, that'll give me a couple of minutes to talk about uh, a few of the new releases I've been playing on the Commodore 64. Uh, before I do that, i got to tell you a sad story. I was uh, watching Facebook Marketplace the other day, and I saw a 32-inch TV come up for sale for $30. Uh, it was a not a brand-new flat screen. It's a little bit thicker than what I was looking for. Um, but it has all the inputs that I need. It has coax. It has uh, HDMI. It has composite. It has component. It has everything that I could possibly want uh, in a, a little gaming TV for a little corner I was setting up. So uh, I ended up getting the TV for $20 because uh, the seller could not find the power cord. And he told me it was a weird style power cord with three different prongs on it or something like that uh i didn't look at the tv i thought uh i mean i picked it up so i, I couldn't you know here's the thing i don't know that it, i didn't know if it was going to work but it's 20 bucks what are you going to do so i got it home and was going to look at the manual and i looked to see what kind of power it used and it uses a pc power cord um the seller was young and i guess and this is the only thing i can figure is that uh, he may have grown up only using laptops uh, because the fact that he didn't recognize that as a normal PC power cord uh, literally blows my mind. He did not have any point of reference and couldn't even properly describe it. So I grabbed a PC power cord, plugged it in, TV works great. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. My original Commodore 64 is not putting out video. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, an older power supply that I think was rebuilt at some point, and I have a new power supply, so it's not a power problem. The light comes on, but I am not getting any video out of the Commodore 64 itself. Now, I have dozens of other ways to play Commodore 64 games. Right next to me, I have my Mr., uh, I have an Ultimate C64. I have the uh, BM C64, which was the build made for Raspberry Pis. I even have, out in my workshop, a C64C, and I think I have a Commodore 128, so I definitely have real hardware. Um, but uh, this is the Commodore 64 that I've had since 1985. So I'm going to have to probably reach out to uh, the community and see if someone can help me get this fixed because um, normally if it was uh, old hardware I would trade it off to somebody who could fix it and, and um, pass it along to someone else but I've got to keep this Commodore. <laughs> this is this is my baby, and this is my original one. So, um, so this one I'll I'll have to see what's wrong with it, and definitely uh, look into getting it fixed. Uh, I got some news last week from Paul Wolverton, who emailed me to let me know that Virtual C sixty four emulator for Mac OS has now been updated. Uh, Virtual C sixty four has been released for Mac, for Windows. I think there's a Linux port. So 
Uh, it's, it's definitely a very popular emulator. I think the advantage of the Virtual C64 is that it's a little bit easier to use than Vice or WinVice. It doesn't have quite as many options, but that's also the downside is that it doesn't have as many options. Uh, but the new version of Virtual C64 has uh, REU support added in. That's something it hasn't done in the past. And Paul told me that he was able to get Sonic the Hedgehog up and running on it. So that's pretty cool. If you are in the market, you're looking for a uh, Commodore emulator, especially if you have a Mac or Linux box or something like that, you might want to take a look at Virtual C64. Like most great Commodore 64 emulators, it is free. I played a few new Commodore 64 games over the past couple of weeks. I played uh, for speed, we need three which reminded me a lot of Turbo, the old arcade game. It's a top-down racer. All you have to do is see how far you can get while avoiding other cars. Um, it's not a, it's not rocket scientist, <laughs> but it was a fun uh, time killer for a little bit of time. I also tried Missile Defender. Someone sent that to me. Missile Defender is a new clone of Missile Command. I did not love it. Uh, it plays, I believe it, it must be written in basic. Uh, it runs very slowly. Uh, whenever you start each level, it builds the cities very slowly, and your um, target that you move around moves very slow. So I did not think it was as good as the old Missile Command that I used to play on the Commodore, but um, uh, if you're looking for an alternative, you can always check this one out. Um and then I started playing Kick of the Spear, which is a new fighting game. And its selling point is that the characters take up, like, over half the screen. They're, like, really giant uh, fighting characters. And there's a ninja, and there's, you know, a kung fu guy. And, and um, you know, just a fun uh, player versus player fighting kind of game. Uh, so uh, I, I've been playing that a little bit, and that's been kind of fun. So. It looks like the Globetrotters are getting ready to take the court, so while everybody sits down and finishes their pretzels, I'm going to step back out and we'll finish this episode's game. The reviews of street sports basketball were overall positive. Uh, the score on Lemon, it has an average score of 7.63. Uh, 64er Magazine gives it a 93% info, gave it an 80%. I'm going to share that review in just a minute. Uh, Happy Computer gave it 76. Power Play gave it 75. Commodore User gave it a 70%, but it, their score is 7 out of 10. So it's funny that 70% sounds low, but 7 out of 10 sounds pretty good. Um, and then Zap was the bottom of the barrel with uh, 68%. They did not love it as much as some of the other magazines. Uh, here's the brief review from Info Magazine about street sports basketball. It says, This game successfully recreates the casual play of average athletes under the less-than-ideal playing conditions of playground basketball. A lot of those things, by the way, are in air quotes in that sentence. Uh, for example, defensive players appear to move about randomly rather than guarding someone. It's an interesting twist to computer sports. I blew the computer away at the easy level, barely won an intermediate, and predictably have not come close to beating it on expert level. There are some nice background graphics and opening music here, though the animation isn't real convincing. So uh, that was their review. I agree uh, with all that. We'll talk 
uh, you know, we can talk right now, I suppose, about um, the music. We've got music during the opening credits, but that's it. There is no music that plays during the actual game. And then we have sound effects. And the sound effects are average. They're not great, you know. So, obviously, that's not a focus of a game like this. Um, when it says that the uh, animations aren't real convincing, there aren't that many uh, animation cycles per sprite. So when you're running, it seems like it's not like people running. It's like you're leaping <laughs> or skating or flying or, <laughs> I don't know, rollerblading. I don't know what you're doing. Um, but the animations, you know, aren't really good. Um, all the bodies are identical. And then, like I said, you have, um, slight variations in the head. So if you picked a guy with a mohawk or with sunglasses, you'll probably be able to tell which guy that is. Otherwise, um, you probably won't. And so that becomes a problem when you pick a guy that's a great three point shooter or pick someone who uh, is great on defense. Because trying to figure out who that is in the middle of the action is not very easy to do. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the street sports games were released for lots of 8-bit computers. This one in particular, I think, got the most systems. Uh, along with the Commodore 64, it appeared on DOS, uh, the ZX Spectrum, the Amstrad CPC, the Amiga, and the Apple II. Uh, there are no additional updated versions of this past the original series of street sports games. Again, there was baseball, basketball, soccer, and football. Uh, this game came out in 87. The, the latter two, uh, soccer and football came out in 88. Of course, by then epics was in financial dire straits. Um, some people have said that it just feels like they were trying to get a game out to try and recoup some losses. That's kind of what those latter games feel like. Um, so epics would not last much longer than this. Uh, no one has picked up this brand. So there are no new street sports games that have been released after this. If you'd like to own this game, I have great news for you. Uh, Street Sports Basketball, there's a copy for the Commodore 64 on eBay right now, sealed. That means never been opened for $4. <laughs> that uh, is unfortunate for uh, fans of Epics. Um, I don't know why it's so low. It has two days left on the auction. Um I looked at uh, completed sales, and it looks like with shipping, you could expect to pay somewhere between $20 and $30 for a sealed copy of Street Sports Basketball. Not a high-dollar collectible game if you're hanging on to it, but if you're looking for a brand-new copy of it, good news. You can find those uh, apparently all over eBay. And now let's get into my personal memories of Street Sports Basketball. <laughs> So as I've mentioned, I got my original Commodore 64 in 1985, but a lot of the games I played were released prior to that. Uh, I was playing a lot of games that were released in 1982, 1983, 84, you know, when I got my Commodore 64, 
I got Ghostbusters. I got Impossible Mission. I played a lot of Donkey Kong. And those are all games that came out before 1985. So it took me a year or two before I got caught up and started playing games that were currently being released. It probably happened around the time that California Games uh, came out. And then about the time that this game came out, also in 1987. Um, it's definitely what I would call a second generation of sports games. You know, a lot of the early sports games, the players don't look like individual people. Some of them don't have, uh, faces like in international basketball, the players don't have unique hairstyles or they don't have faces at all. Uh, so the characters in this game look like people. You know, and the courts look like where you're playing. So uh, it's, it was definitely an advance uh, in sports games at the time. Now, as a kid, I never personally played organized basketball, but I did play street basketball. Uh, some of the kids in my neighborhood had basketball goals, and my neighbors across the street were big fans of basketball. In fact, we used to play this form of driveway basketball um they had a two-car garage, and in the middle of the garage was their address, the, the, the address letters. And so the way that you made a shot was you had to throw the basketball up towards the roof. The ball had to bounce off the roof in between where the numbers began and ended, and it had to hit one of the first two rows of shingles, and it could only bounce once. <laughs> so it was kind of uh, an imaginary basketball hoop, but we played a lot of basketball over there. We played uh, before school and and after school, you know, but um, yeah, I never played on actual basketball league. Now, both of my kids um, played on YMCA basketball leagues. Both of my kids were taller than average. They were, uh, I think both of my kids were the tallest person on their teams. So they were always chosen to do the tip off and they played a lot of uh, defense where they were, uh, you know, getting um, rebounds and things like that. So it was very exciting as a fan of basketball to watch uh, your kids do that. But um, anyway, back to the game itself. Uh, I certainly played this uh, when it came out. I remember it being really great, but when I played it this week, it didn't seem all that great, which makes me wonder how bad all the other basketball games were that I was comparing this to uh, at the time. You know, again, like I said, uh, you know, games like international basketball, which is a three on three, but it's also, it's not a bad basketball game and as i mentioned has the same programmer as this game so there's a reason that they are similar but if you look at things like the atari 2600 basketball or double dribble on the nes which is not bad um you know this seemed better than than those type of games um like most commodore 64 games i had a lot more fun playing this when there were two people and the controls are so simple that you can just hand someone a joystick and say, hey, let's let's play, and they'll figure it out. You know, within one or two possessions, you'll have all the controls uh, figured out, and then you could just play. Uh, the downside, of course, to this game was that again, the controls were so simple, uh, which makes it where there's not uh, as much depth as we got with more modern basketball games.
for graphics, I will give this game four out of five Air Jordans. The uh, characters, you know, on the selection screen, the backgrounds, the playgrounds, all that stuff looks above average, uh, especially for the Commodore 64. It looks really good. So four out of five on graphics. For music, I gotta say maybe two out of five Air Jordans. We get uh, a tune that doesn't really fit the theme of the game, and it only plays during the opening title screen, not during the gameplay. Sound effects, three out of five Air Jordans right down the middle. They're nothing spectacular, but they're not particularly annoying either. Uh, overall gameplay, I'm going to give uh, Street Sports Basketball three out of five Air Jordans. Uh, if the Commodore 64 is the only system you have access to, and this is the only basketball game you own, then it's probably okay. Uh, compared to more modern systems, it just really doesn't have the depth of most basketball games to hold your interest for very long. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RobCasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Street Sports Basketball was selected as this episode's games by my Patreon supporters. That includes supporters like Mitsuyama, Lewis Gornfield, and Zerfall. If you'd like to join those guys and help pick games for future episodes of Sprite Castle, read behind-the-scenes blog posts, watch weekly videos, get access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and receive other additional perks, support Tier Start at just $2 a month. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle is available on all major podcast providers, including the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. More details about all my shows are available at podcast.robohara.com. News and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to driving the baseline, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Good drive.